You're clean, aren't you? Except for your tower. You're a tower junkie, Roland. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast celebrating the work of Stephen King with an occasional focus on his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series. We discuss the themes, characters, and mythology of the series in Palaver episodes and review the books and comic series in Kef episodes. We also discuss non-Tower King novels, TV and film adaptations of King's work, and the latest news about all things that serve the King. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com and follow us on every level of social media at TowerJunkiesPod. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Hurt, and with me today at as usual, in our happy little podcast family, is a fresh fish, fresh fish, fresh f- fish, tiny. <laughs> How's it going, tiny? <laughs> Gotta get me out of here. <laughs> I don't belong here. <laughs> um, I just beat tiny to death with a baton. Um, wow, that's that's that one of the really strangest works. sentences ever uttered in the seven years we've been podcasting. Is it though? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, because there's stuff on the cutting room floor of this podcast. That's true. <laughs> that one made it to air. Yeah, it sure did. So, yeah. uh, how's it going, Tiny? It's good, man. I'm good. good. I'm good. good. How are you? Nice. I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, we're actually recording this in January. This episode is not going to go up until uh, March 20th, which I'll talk about here in a second. Why? Because I'm insane. But I will just say, today on the podcast, we will begin tackling, in a series of podcast episodes, Stephen King's collection of four novellas. It's 1982's Different Seasons. And like episode series we've done in the past, we're going to dedicate an individual podcast episode to each novella and the respective adaptation when that is when that applies. Um, however, given the theme and the title of the collection, and all of the stories like sub... Um, subheading or or subtitle um we're going to release each episode of our different season series on the first day of each novella's corresponding season <laughs> so i'm sorry <laughs> this is so mad hurt it really is it really is <laughs> so since this episode will be released on march 20th happy spring everyone <laughs> um uh, today on the show, we're going to be covering the novella Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption and Frank Darabont's 1994 adaptation, The Shawshank Redemption. So, Tiny, are you excited about this weird project I've assigned for us, or am I being obtuse? <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, I wish I could think of something really quick to come up with. I can't. Um, we, I'm really looking forward to it because these are like big temple stories of yes. the Stephen King averse mm-hmm. uh, that I've never read. I had never read Shawshank. Yeah. You know, I've never read The Body. Mm. Um, so I've never read Apt People. Apt mm. People. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to these. Um, um, yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I'm looking forward to it too because I said probably on a previous episode that, um, I hadn't read different seasons until like, Christmas time of last year when I was uh, undergoing COVID isolation and battling COVID symptoms. And like, I just went on a tear just listening to audiobooks of um, Stephen King's, you know, short story collections in chronological order. So uh, that was the first time I listened to read different seasons. And man, I just, I'm really excited for this because I'm an idiot and I had planned this all out to, for 2021. So yeah. <laughs> Um, 
So since we're recording this in January 26th, um, to release it on March 20th, unless you guys are on Patreon. Um, so if you're a patron at the $10 level, you'll get early access to this episode probably at the beginning of March. So you will have gotten that at that point. So, um, the plan is that we'll do, uh, the next episode of this series, uh, we'll release that June 21st, which also will be, that'll be the first day of summer and also our, uh, eighth uh podcast anniversary uh, from when oh, we nice. first started podcasting on the obsessive viewer wow yeah so um that and then uh fall will be uh the third episode then winter will be the fourth <laughs> <laughs> so yeah uh where was i going with that oh you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer uh, we have one and two dollar tiers that get you access to just, uh, B-roll audio recorded specifically for Patreon supporters. And if you pledge five dollars per month, you get access to that B-roll audio as well as commentary tracks that I record and sometimes I'll record with other people probably. Um, that will be posted, uh, kind of infrequently. I have set aside a, a, a whole ridiculous plan that I'm, I'm shooting for doing all I'll say is that I'm hoping to do one Stephen King adaptation commentary track on the 19th of each month of this year. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So I've already done uh, January's was... Um, oh, what was January's? I don't oh, know. <laughs> Pet Cemetery 2019. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have on the docket... So by the time you're listening to this, the February one will have already been posted. Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but... I'll just run through uh, what I have scheduled. Um, that's the wrong note. Um, so uh, February's is right now. It's going to be it chapter two, um, and then March. <laughs> uh, if I stick to this schedule, you will have already gotten access to The Shining on March first and Doctor Sleep on March nineteenth. Um, so yesterday, as of this thing. Wow. Yeah. And then more to come throughout the year. I'm really excited about that. That's cool. Um, yeah. And I think also, Tiny, I don't know how you feel about this, but what I think I'm going to do is since I'm doing three, hopefully three commentaries each month, um, at the end of the year, I'm going to pick one, one, uh, I'm going to pick three of those cumulative commentary tracks and just release them as an episode of each podcast. So like, oh, cool pick one from like the Stephen King adaptations and release it on the tower junkies on Christmas day. Just spoiler alert guys. Okay. And then obsessed viewer will have one and then anthology will have one as well. So, nice. Yeah. So anyway, um, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know where I was going with all of that. Oh, the whole reason I brought that up is that since, um, we're recording this in January, we're not going to do any Stephen King news, but I do think we'll do some check-ins if you have any, um, tiny, man, I don't any think I Stephen do. King check-ins. I don't think I do. Any, oh, that's fine. Cause we're going to talk about it in the episode. So. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I do have two just brief things. Um, okay. one is that was something that I've been doing, uh, this year is, or since I started listening to the short story collections is on Twitter at tower junkies pod. I will do a threaded tweet 
threaded tweets of um, anytime I listen to a short story collection, I'll make a thread of tweets where each tweet is my brief thoughts on each individual story, um, usually accompanied by a gif that in my brain I think is funny <laughs> um, in the way that it relates to the story, but uh, but probably in practice just goes unnoticed as it should <laughs> um so yeah check that out at tower junkies pod but on that note uh as of today january 26th i have started hearts in atlantis oh cool yeah tiny have you read hearts in atlantis not at all okay are you familiar with the structure of it or, or how it is i know basically nothing <clears throat> about it oh that's interesting okay is it short stories it is yes and no so okay. it is a collection of two novellas and three short stories. And from what I understand, they're, they're all kind of interconnected, but they're separate. Mm. So it's like the first one takes place in like 1960, I think. And then the next one will be 1966 and then all the way up to like 1999. And so it, from what I understand, it's a sprawling thing, but the first uh, novella in the collection is the one that I'm, I'm going to finish tonight after we record. But it's Low Men in Yellow Coats, um, hmm. which is directly tied to the Dark Tower series. Um, mm, low Men, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's basically Ted Brodigan's, uh, story, um, that I, I can't remember if he recounts this exact story or like the aftermath of it or whatever. But in the last Dark Tower book, when he has that long palaver with the quartet, um, <clears throat> so anyway, uh, yeah, I'm finishing that up tonight and i just gotta say it's it's really this collection was released in 1999 mm -hmm. and so this is this is in between um wizard and glass and wolves of the kala mm -hmm. and i just i wonder what it would have been like to like go back in time to 1999 and be in a position where theoretically i had read uh, the first four Dark Tower books as they came out, say, and then have that long drought between Wizard and Glass. Well, I guess a long, one of the long droughts, many long droughts. Um, <laughs> but a long drought between Wizard and Glass and Wolves of the Kala having no Dark Tower books or anything, but then picking up Hearts in Atlantis and like getting like a, uh, like a, a hundred or so pages in and suddenly Ted Brodigan is talking about like all things serve the beam. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's using this mid world vernacular and stuff like nice. how just much my mind would explode at that point. But right. Yeah. But it's, it's really good so far. Um, William Hurt does the narration for the audiobook. Nice. And he's phenomenal. So yeah. Cool. Uh, but yeah. So anyway, so that is one of my check-ins and then I have one more if you won't mind indulging me tiny. Mm -hmm. Okay. So my other check-in is, I had it right here, and I don't, oh, um, <laughs> so this ties in somewhat to the series of episodes we're doing with this ridiculous idea that I have. So another short story collection that I listened to while uh, battling COVID was Four Past Midnight. Mm -hmm. And Four Past Midnight has one of now my, one of my favorite Stephen King uh, novellas, The Langoliers. Um, have you read or seen Lingleers. I don't think I know anything about it. Okay. So I'm not going to say anything about it because I can't remember if I've said it previously on the show, but I will say that I have watched half of the TV miniseries. <laughs> yeah. Um, which it's, it gets a lot of flack, um, as being just a, a shitty miniseries, but I'm kind of into it. <laughs> um, really? Yeah. And, and the Langoliers is a really interesting 
story in and of itself because it it is maybe from my count it is one of the most like directly inspired by the twilight zone pieces of writing stephen king has published from oh, what okay. i've read huh. um and he even name checks a couple of uh distinct episodes of the twilight zone that as like a character saying like oh you know this this reminds me of this episode of the Twilight Zone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and the episode of the Twilight Zone that it is kind of paying homage to or inspired by is one of my favorites. So nice. a couple of my favorites. So the concept is really cool. But okay. anyway, um, watch the miniseries and I, I've watched half of it and I, I'm, I dig it. So hopefully the other half, uh, does well too. Cool. Um, but on that note, four past midnight. <laughs> so, we are embarking upon our different seasons episode review series on the podcast in which we are going to be discussing each novella in the collection uh, throughout the year um, because four seasons equals, you know, four different times we can release it. So there's mm-hmm. going to be months where we don't cover different seasons. But I was thinking next year, four past midnight four different novellas we can do the same thing oh my god <laughs> so um so if you're looking forward to us covering the likes of the langoliers you're gonna have to wait another Langa year <laughs> jesus <laughs> uh, was that whole thing just a setup for that joke pretty much god damn it. pretty much but i am completely honest that we're going to be doing the same thing for four past midnight next year <laughs> more like a long year I, I I'll accept it. I'll accept it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, okay. Should no, we? that's fine. No, we can do that next year. Yeah. Nice. I'm I'm excited because the link uh, the the four past midnight is an interesting and I I'm sure I've said this before but it's interesting that different seasons is a collection of novellas that is decidedly un Stephen Kingy. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. It, they're they're mostly drama. There's not very much. If any, uh, well, there's not throughout the whole thing. There's not much Stephen King element to it. There's not a lot of like supernatural stuff or anything like that, um, or horror. But it's interesting because uh, Four Past Midnight is the same kind of thing in that it's a collection of four novellas. But it's like those are horror novellas. Okay. <laughs> um, so it's it's an interesting kind of uh, mirror between the two, I guess, or or different sides of of. The same coin, I guess. I don't know. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah. And then, uh, I think full, either full dark, no stars or, uh, just after sunset. I think full dark, no stars, um, is a collection of four novellas. I don't know what the fuck they are, but, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. That one's not that old, is it? Like, no, that, that one's fairly recent. Yeah. Uh, but we're, we're, we'll cover those in 2023. <laughs> um, <laughs> stupid (laughs) no it's all right yeah okay so shall we get into our review of rita hayworth and shawshank redemption and the shawshank redemption yes okay i'm andy dufresne wife killing banker why'd you do it i didn't since you asked (laughs) you're gonna fit right in everybody in here is innocent and you know that Hey, what you in here for? Didn't do it. Lawyer fucked me. So, as we said, this this uh, collection of different seasons was published on August 27th, 1982 by Viking Press. And, uh, yeah, we're going to be covering 
the novella of Shawshank and the movie Shawshank. So, um, first off, before we get to that, I just want to say briefly, like, what our history is with both the novella Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption and Frank Darabont's movie. So, Tiny, you said that you, you had never read the, the novella, correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. And I had never read it until this past December. So that covers that. <laughs> uh, how about the movie? What, like, what is your history with the Shawshank Redemption? It's one of my favorites and has been for years. I think our generation really, uh, I, I don't think we cemented the cult status of it, but I think our generation always considered it a classic, you know, mm-hmm. like an instant classic kind of thing. Um, and I think from the time I was a kid, you know, I was seven when the movie came out. Um, I, from the time I, I don't think I saw it in 1994, but I probably saw it when I was like nine or 10, something like that, maybe. Mm, Um, and, uh, ever since then, I've loved the movie and I've probably seen it at least 10 times. That's awesome. At least. Um, but it's funny, like, I hadn't seen it. It's probably been 10 years since I've seen it. I I couldn't tell you the last time I watched it because I feel like I just had it memorized, you know? Yeah. Um, And and so um, most of my experience seeing the movie... I, I I don't think I saw the like the saw it as a rated R movie. Oh yeah. Until I was in like my teens because we would always watch it on like TNT or like oh, TBS yeah. or something like that. <laughs> and it's like it's one of those movies where you'd see it and you'd be like, "Oh, I'm watching this movie now." You know? Right. Like, oh and, yeah. So that's how I saw it so many times. I I think maybe I had seen the rated R version before that, but I I don't recall. Um, but watching it this time, I, I just, it kind of hit me like, yeah, this is a, this is pretty much a solid, like a truly rated R movie. Yeah. Um, but I just, I didn't really have a memory of it like that, I guess. Um, but huh. yeah, I, I've, man, cause my parents wouldn't let me see rated R movies till I was like 13 Oh or so. yeah, that's right. I mean, it was, it was a while. Um, huh. so I, anything that I saw that was rated R was either like on T, like a TV edit or like, I had to sneak it or see it at a friend's house or something like that. So, um, that's interesting. Yeah. So, um, but I, may, I've considered it one of the greats for a long time, like probably yeah. a top 20 movie, um, of mine. And uh, I'm really glad we're visiting it, revisiting it now because mm-hmm. I haven't seen it in so long and it really rekindled just how great I think it is. Nice. And same here. I saw this movie. I don't remember the first time I saw this movie. I think I was older than you were when you saw it. I was probably a preteen when I when I first saw it. But this is one of those movies that it was talked a lot about on uh, the internet as like one of the greats of all time and everything. Right. Yeah. So like it's one of the ones that uh, I really sought out when I was cultivating my nerdy, you know. Um, snobby film snob uh persona as a teen <laughs> but it's um i don't i i've also lost count of how many times i've seen this movie i mean i've se- I've seen it so many times but i will say that since i have records of all the movies that i watched going back to like 2007 um i have logged it a total of five times and the last time that i saw it was actually in uh 2015 okay um and it's funny, one of those times that I saw it, I think in 2011, there was, this is such a dumb anecdote or such a weird thing, but like in 2011 or maybe in 2015, there was some, some like cultist or cult leader or something that was like, the world is going to end on May something 
2011 or whatever and like it got a lot of press and like people were like oh this oh this guy oh yeah i think um, i remember that yeah and like i didn't have anything going on that day so i was like you know what obviously the world's not going to end but i'm <laughs> like if it was what's the one movie that i would want to watch like what's the last movie i would want to want would want to watch before the world ended mm-hmm. so i watched the Shawshank redemption nice um yeah good choice yeah oh yeah it was it was great um so yeah, and it's uh yeah, it, it's a really it's a it's a good one. On my uh top 25 favorite movies of all time list, it is sitting pretty at number 12. Nice. Which honestly seems kind of low. <laughs> like yeah. kind of wish it would have been higher, but I mean, a lot of good movies out there. Yeah, there are. Like, I mean, it's below Psycho and Back mm. to the Future and Jurassic Park, so right. I mean, some pretty heavy hitters. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the internet thing because I feel like that's what that's what really, for me, like made me realize how much how loved the movie was. Yeah, because like you go to IMDb back in like 2006, and it was it was was it number one on IMDb top 250 for like a long for time for a while. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's still a. I haven't looked. It's like a top 10 mm-hmm. probably still. I, probably. I would assume. Um, but I, I remember thinking like, wow, really? Pe- people like think it's that good? Like, yeah. And I, I thought it was a top 10 IMDb. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Like I totally did. But I was so surprised that so many other people felt that way. Me too. And so I feel like the internet really boosted the cult, mm-hmm. the cult classic following of this movie. Yeah. And, you know, we're the internet generation. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like... You know, when this movie came out in theaters, people our age didn't go see it, right? Right. Uh, it was, you know, Gen Y or whatever. Uh, probably, sure. Yeah. <clears throat> whatever the generation. Yeah. Not X, it's Y, I think. Is it? No, I think it's Gen, Gen X. Is it Gen X? Yeah, I don't fucking Gen X know. and then they don't matter. millennials. <laughs> They're not <laughs> us, so. I mean, they might be patrons, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I kid, I kid. Yeah. Um, but anyways... Uh, <laughs> You know, it was Gen Xers who went and saw this mm-hmm. when it came out in the theaters, and and it was appreciated mm-hmm. to an extent in its time. But I feel like it was really elevated by millennials because we were yeah. the ones who talked about it on the internet a lot. And it was it was snubbed on the Oscars as well because right. it was up against like Forrest Gump and yeah. Pulp Fiction and like a lot of heavy hitters that year. So. It was a hell of a year. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Um. But let's table the discussion of the movie and talk about the novella right um so yeah so one of the things that struck me uh about reading the novella okay let's go into this so first of all we're going to be spoiling i think i think we should just do spoilers for the novella and the movie just make it easier from the outset right so if you haven't read rita hayworth and shawshank redemption or seen the shawshank redemption from 94 uh check those out and then come back and listen to us so we're gonna go spoilers on and here we go our introduction to different seasons the novella collection hope springs eternal rita hayworth and shawshank redemption so tiny the thing that really struck me this was when I read slash listened to Rita Hayworth in Shawshank Redemption, um, what struck me was that it, this was the first um, of the three uh, big Frank Darabont adaptations where I've read where I read the first time reading the source material of that. So hmm. as of this recording, I have not read The Green Mile, okay. um, yeah. and uh, I have read The Mist, but. Um, 
but at the time I hadn't read the mist. So I was, this was my introduction to the source material that had been adapted by Frank Darabont. And what struck me was that like, as like you said in, uh, when we were talking about the movie, I know the movie backwards and forwards. Like <laughs> this is a movie that is imprinted into my, on, like onto my brain mm-hmm. and reading the, reading the novella just made me, it just blew me away. Just how, how surgical and exact Frank Darabont is in adapting Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, it is, it is insane to me. Just the level of commitment he has to the source material. Um, so it was, it was just really interesting because there are whole passages that are lifted directly from the novella and, and put into dialogue in the movie. Um, yeah. So yeah, so that made this novella really easy for me to latch onto and love. <laughs> me too. Yeah. So how did yeah how did you feel overall about the novella? Yeah, I I was really blown away by how closely it it followed the movie or how the movie followed it. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, it's it's right there. Um, I so obviously the movie is largely from you know Red's perspective, the character of Red, his perspective, mm-hmm. and and uh, he's the narrator through it and everything, um, but that's hard to convey visually in a movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause Andy Dufresne has to be a character with lines. Right. So, yeah. um, but in, in the book it's, it's so much easier to do. And it's really, it's really like you're sitting at a table, sitting at a table with, with, uh, red, red. And yeah. he's, he's telling you a story. That's mm-hmm. what it feels like. And it's that, that perspective is so cool. I feel like if this was a different, a different perspective and we're just, and, and Red just happens to be his friend in, in the story, and he's an ancillary character, and we're in Andy Dufresne's head the whole time. I feel like it's a completely different story. Yeah. And so much of the mystery is removed, and the um, uh, the mysteriousness of Andy Dufresne as a character and, and as a person is just so much different. I just, that was just such an incredible choice to make of Stephen King to make it from red's perspective. Yeah. And I, I just adore it for that. Mm-hmm. I, um, like, like you were saying, we know the movie backwards and forwards. And so we're super familiar with the story, but I, it felt so new l- yeah. listening to the book and, and reading the book because, um, it's, it's such a faithful adaptation, the movie, but, um, I don't know. It was just so fun to, to listen to it. I, I was, yeah. I was really into the story. Like I, I listened to it in basically one day. Oh, nice. Um, Cause nice. I was like doing some mundane work at, at work and just had my earbuds in and like, I'm going to mm-hmm. just keep listening to this while I'm working. Cause I, I almost never do that at work. Oh really? Uh, I never listen to books. Occasionally I'll put on some music, but I like to concentrate it. I feel like the music throws me off. Oh yeah. Um, so I rarely do that at work, but, um, that day, I was like, I can't stop listening to this. I, nice. I'm really into it. So, yeah, I man, it was. I really adored the 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 novella. It was great. Me too. And to your point about uh, about the kind of brilliance of having it be completely just read recounting the story of Andy Dufresne, um, that makes it like your it it keys you into really. Um, buy into this legendary status of, of right. Andy. Like he, he's like red is recounting not only the trials and tribulations of his, of his friend, but also just this legend of the, of Shawshank. Mm-hmm. And it brings this, this interesting kind of dichotomy uh at play because 
Andy is described throughout the entire novella as just kind of an ordinary guy. Um, yeah. he's, a, he's a tall drink of water, but <laughs> he's just, I don't know. Um, anyway, he's, he's just a kind of unassuming guy, but we're being told the story through the lens of a person who knew him. And after he did the unthinkable, um, in escaping prison <laughs> and uh it's just it's it has this interesting tightrope of recounting this legend and not re- obviously we know what happens but going through it we don't know exactly how it happened or like it does a great a great job of concealing it for the audience as to like what happens at the end and everything even if for people who know the story so well um, <clears throat> I still got that kind of sense of suspense and, and, um, nerves about it, I guess. Totally. One thing that yeah. really jumped out to me, um, about the character of Red is really, I, I think what makes the, the book so much more fun to, or so much fun to, to go along with is really just how honest Red is. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is when he's, you know, you, you talked about how this is really, it's almost like he's telling us a legend or a mm-hmm. tall tale or a myth. It's like that it has this myth, mythical status to us. Do it. He's saying things like, now I wasn't there mm-hmm. or like I heard it from so and so or, um, I don't know what Andy was thinking and I can't tell you mm-hmm. exactly what he did when he was breaking out of prison, but I feel like that. Obviously, it's a fictitious story, but it just right. it adds this level of authenticity to what he's saying. Yes, and really just makes it feel so genuine. and And it's it's funny that you're you're getting the story from a perspective of an ex con, but you mm-hmm. like trust him so implicitly, and like um, uh, sort of like what Mike was saying the other day when we recorded with him. Mm-hmm. Like you just know that the story is going to take care of you. Absolutely. It has that feel from like the first couple paragraphs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is, that's the reason why when I was, when I had COVID, that's exactly the reason why I just disappeared into listening to Stephen King's stories. Nice. Um, because he is such a brilliant storyteller. Um, and I just know that like, <laughs> like Uncle Stevie was taking care of me while I was sick. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> And that all ties into like this whole mythology or this mythos of this legendary prison break, uh, of Andy all plays into that theme of hope and like the subtitle being hope springs eternal. Mm. And just you really get that sense from the story that Stephen King is telling the story about this man who became larger than life in this prison community and gave hope to like the absolute hopeless and, and, um, the hopeless and incarcerated essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's, it just paints such a vivid picture of just this hopeful kind of story that disappeared into legend. Like when he talks about the, um, uh, tarring the roof of the, uh, license plate factory, mm-hmm. um, like he even says, like, you know, there was a, a handful of guys up there, but, you know, as the years go on, like, there, like, now there's like 200 people up there who saw right. it. Um, yeah. Which that, I want to highlight that moment in the novella because the way that King writes, uh, the guard, Byron Hadley, mm-hmm. um, I, like, re-listening to it in preparation for this, it just, it really struck me just how brilliant of a storyteller and how, how brilliant of a writer Stephen King is. 
um, because he goes through this whole passage where he talks about Byron Hadley as this person who is constantly just has a chip on his shoulder and he, um, uh, <laughs> the, his answer anytime he's asked that philosophical question that everyone is asked at some point in their life or when they're, when they're kids is always half full. Um, yeah. He always views it as half full. Every single thing that happens to him is a plight against him and everything. And just the way that King writes that section and just describes this character, it gives this just complete three-dimensional image of this character in such a distinctive and vivid way. And that's one of the, like, that's absolutely one, one of the reasons why I think why he's my favorite writer and also why I think that he is so, so much more than just a, a popular fiction horror writer. Um, because he taps into the humanity of the characters, you know, in, and expresses their flaws in such a distinctive way that just brings them into such a three dimensional space that is, it's just awe inspiring to me. So. Yeah. I agree 100%. Nice. And even the, you know, Hadley's basically a villain. Yeah. In this story. And in the story, um, he's kind of just a side, like he's not, he's right. not prominent. Yeah. Right. Not as, not as much as the movie. Um, right. But yeah, like that's, he's, he's a much smaller character in the book, but he's given mm-hmm. so much description and he's mm-hmm. so well realized for such a short scene. Like that's in yeah. the book, that's his pivotal scene. And that's, yeah. that's his biggest scene in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's given so much descriptive time and and uh, adjectives for for such a small role. Um, that's that's one thing I love about King as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, it's funny. Um, it, again, such a, such a small character. Part of the beauty of his writing is you. He takes. He he his characters are just so real because I feel mm-hmm. like I know. We we all probably know a character just like Byron Hadley. Oh yes, who's never satisfied with anything mm. or just likes loves to bitch. Yeah, like I we me and my wife and I were just talking at dinner about mm-hmm. someone she works with and someone I works with who fits <laughs> that bill. Like mm-hmm. like they they hate their job mm-hmm. and they bitch the whole time, but they will never leave because they love to have that. Yes, and I feel I don't know if if that's exactly what Stephen King was going for. I don't know with this character, but mm-hmm. I feel like. Hadley could fit that bill and yeah. and play that role, play that role, and and that just made me. That's exactly who I thought of nice. uh, when I when I was reading the book. Mm. But yeah, it, man, and then of course the way Frank Darabont adapted that scene and and Brilliant. Hadley Byron Hadley played by played by Clancy Brown in that mm-hmm. scene is just to a T perfect. Oh, one hundred percent, beat by beat, line yeah. by line. I mean, just perfect. Like he didn't. Like he, it's probably the easiest scene he ever he's ever written. <laughs> right, I know it's it's a one to one thing. Right, like, yeah, it's 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 incredible. Um, I could literally just see him like looking at the book, okay, right. like like flipping the pages and yeah. writing, you know. Which that's such an interesting. We'll we'll talk about the adaptation and everything in a bit, but it's it's just such an interesting a, a, um approach to to adapting a piece of literature. Like it's just it's so interesting to me. But we'll dissect that more here in a bit. Mm-hmm. Um. The novella spans obviously a lot of time as, as does the movie. Um, and as such, there's a lot of turnover in terms of like the guards and the wardens and stuff. There are several different wardens throughout this, right. um, story and it's, 
it's it's really good at uh, communicating that passage of time, and I think that that's very much needed, obviously, do- toward the end of the book, um, because that really sells the hopefulness and the the triumph of Andy Dufresne's escape. So I don't know, how do you feel about the passage of time throughout the book and the different interactions that Andy and Red had? I I don't know if I. If it's just because it's a visual medium, but I feel like mm-hmm. I felt it more in the movie. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, and I maybe maybe it's just because I've only I've seen the movie so many times and I've yeah. uh, only read the book once, but um, I feel like I felt it more in the movie. Not to take that away, or I'm not trying to levy that as a criticism against the book at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is interesting. You would think it would be more effective in the book because, like you said, in the in the book, there's this turnover. Like there's, there's at least three wardens. I want to yeah, say in, in the, in like the book that. and there's just the one in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Hadley kind of comes and goes in the book, but he's there throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Um, which I think was a great decision for the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the book it's, yeah, there is that. Tr- so you would think it would be more effective in the book, but yeah. maybe, maybe if I read it again, that would stick out to me more. But, um, for whatever reason it didn't. And also the, the book felt, it kind of felt quick mm-hmm. again, not, it's not like he rushed anything. I'm not, I'm right. not, it was just, it was a truly a short story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, th- whereas the movie is almost two and a half hours. Yeah, that's true. Uh, which is a little long for a movie, um, a length, lengthier movie, but yeah, it, I, I don't know for whatever reason I felt it more in the movie, I guess. Okay. Um, so this was your first time reading this novella in terms of all of Stephen King's work. Cause we've, we've done our top 19 novels, which if you go to towerjunkiespod.com slash top 19, um, you'll see our top 19s, but, um, and little pictures of us. Um, so, um, only one of us actually wearing the shirt of the podcast, which is tiny. Yeah. But anyway, um, so this was your first time reading this novella and we've obviously talked about our top 19 novels. Um, have you read any other of his short fiction? Um, I think the only other short fiction, short story of his I've ever read is uh, The Mist. Oh, interesting. I don't, okay. I don't think I've read any other ones. Nice. Well, well, we'll rectify that. Oh, yeah. And I'd over like the to. next several years. I'd really like to. As we do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's funny. On the master list on the website, um, I have re- restructured how we will eventually cover short story collections. Okay. So like, it's, it's obscene. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but it's actually, it's a little bit better, like more car, uh, uh, um, Com- uh, compartmentalized because I have like okay a, a short story collection will do like three or four different episodes and like each episode will be like like a handful of the stories in the collection okay um so yeah it's a little bit more manageable but All right. yeah anyway um yeah this so I like I said I've gone through a bunch of his short story collections recently and I I have like a list because I'm insane of like <laughs> oh my favorite. Stephen King. <laughs> so this is just a window into my just psychosis. But like, I have a note that's like, I have a note that's like a master list of, of Stephen King novels and like the order that I read them in and like my ranking and everything, running ranking of the novels. And then so obviously when I started doing the short story collections, it's like, okay, well, here's my ranking of each short story in each collection and my overall ranking of each short story. And then I have a different overall ranking of each novella. Oh my God. I'm going to keep them separated and everything. Wow. So anyway, I'm insane and I don't know where I was going with that, but 
Um, oh, Maddie's yeah. gonna Matt. Yep, yep. Um, <laughs> so anyway, that's all stuff for other episodes in the future, or maybe the past. I don't know. But um, <laughs> but a question that I do have for you, Tiny. So this being one of the only short fiction pieces that you've read of King, do you? And maybe this is a little bit tricky to ask, but do you feel like this is an appropriate length for this particular story? Or do you think it could have been expanded into a full-blown novel? Or um, how do you feel about the length and everything? I mean, I think it could have been a full-blown novel, but it obviously doesn't need to be. I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was great. I don't, I don't feel like anything was missing or um, anything needed to be fleshed out more. Mm-hmm. But I think it, I think it could have been, you know, it could have, probably could have been a full a full length novel, you know, the three hundred pages or whatever. I think that's possible. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely don't think it needed to be. Um, and I, like I said, there wasn't anything that I was missing. Um, I, th- I think it, again, if it had been written in a different style, mm-hmm. if it wasn't like again oh, yeah. the perspective of just a guy telling you a story at like a booth at a diner or something, you know, that's right. kind of how it felt. Um, I feel like that, that kind of story has a time limit or, a is limited in, in and of itself. But if you have, like, again, you have to make Andy Dufresne his own character and we're experiencing yeah. it from his perspective or, a you know, watching over him or whatever. I, I feel like the characters would have had to been more fleshed out, more dialogue, stuff like that. It could have been, longer but i don't i don't know if we would have appreciated i feel like that perspective is just so crucial yeah to how great the story is it gives it that legendary feel like you were saying i i think that's one of the most brilliant choices of the story yeah i'll agree i i don't think it uh needs to be expanded or anything like that i think it could but doesn't need to be i mean it's a great length for it um so the ending um the way that it ends uh the escape and everything i Something that I love so much about Stephen King's writing is just his commitment to detail in terms of the minutia of the ins and outs of different things. So, like, the the ins and breakouts of different things. <laughs> but, um, like, he is such a well-researched writer that, like, even if, like, he's just going into minute detail and bullshitting his way through it, like, if you, if, like, if you read... I think it's either, it's either Skeleton Crew or Nightmares, it's Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Nightmares and Dreamscapes, the first story of that is Dolan's Cadillac, which I won't give away much about it, but I will say that it is a revenge story where the main character is plotting the revenge of this, uh, against this gangster. And it is the most just batshit crazy kind of like, <laughs> um, I'll say it like this batshit crazy Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner kind of thing. <laughs> and like the level of detail that King goes into, into getting like, like the different things right and everything. Like he, in the afterward of that collection, he talks about how he sent, he sent it over to his brother who is like, his brother works in, in a certain field that, that was applicable to this story. Uh, to some of the stuff in the story, but like, and he sent him notes and everything. So he incorporated that into it, but just like the amount of detail that goes into King's writing. And so like, take that back to Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption, where he's talking about how, um, and again, it's through the, through the 
lens of red who doesn't know all of the information but he's like this is this is what i know this is what i think this is what uh this is what's you know the legend but it's just like maybe he maybe he was chiseling his name on the wall and just a chunk came out and that's how he started this idea and then mm-hmm. and like he knew that at this time it was going to be uh, replaced with this type of pipe or something or this type of, of concrete. So he had to accelerate and everything. It's like all of that stuff is, is superfluous to the story. Like we don't need the detail, but it enhances the overall story and solidifies it as more grounded in reality than, than anything, uh, that, uh, than, than it really in most cases has any right to be. Right. Um, like these stories in this collection are fairly grounded in reality with one exception that we'll get to, uh, later this year. But, uh, here it's just, it, it just enhances the overall story in such a significant way that he goes through that detail. So I don't know. I, I loved it. Nice. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the kind of final part where I, I love the fake out at the end where red is finishing his write up. And finishing his book report about Andy, Andy Dufresne's, um, escape. <laughs> and he, he ends it with just saying like, um, saying like, so that's all I know. That's the story and everything. And, and, uh, Andy, if you're, if you're reading this, look up to, at the sky for me and everything. And then I had forgotten how the novella ended. And then like, as I'm listening to it a second time, I'm like, is this how it ends? Like, oh God. <laughs> And then it, and then he comes back and he's like, Oh, hey, you know, I got paroled and I'm on my way to Zawataneho. Um, just checking in. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I, I love that kind of false ending, that kind of, that different, it, it's like, it's like a fake out that we're building up toward this kind of overall story of hope and, and perseverance and everything and, and just a bleak thing. And then, you get this fake out that King is going to just leave us hanging. <laughs> but then we get the kind of just the very satisfying and even somewhat ambiguous ending of red going to find Andy. And it's just, it's so satisfying. How'd you feel about the novella ending? Yeah, uh, it was, it was fun. I liked that too. Um, I kind of forgot that was the perspective that he was writing it out the whole time. Me too. Um, yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I thought it was fun. I, I had the same thought as I was coming to the end. I was like, Oh, that's, that's how we ended the book. All right. Yeah. That's, mm. that's a little different, but, um, it, it's, it, it plays, it plays on the theme of hope. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like the s- sort of ambiguous ending where like he doesn't, specifically walk up to Andy and shake his hand. Right. Right. Uh, like we see in the movie. Um, I feel like a- ambiguity is sort of synonymous with hope, right? Like, mm. you know, the hope is opportunity, right? It's, it's, there's, uh, this could happen. This could totally happen. I could, I could totally meet the love of my life at this yeah. thing, or I could totally get this job during this interview or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's all about and, opportunity. And, and like, I, I could totally buy this couch without any hassle. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, that's a dream. That's not real. Yeah, no, it's not reality. It's never going to happen. <laughs> no, that's fuck Ashley furniture. So, <laughs> Just dash that dream against a yes. rock as hard as you can. <laughs> yeah, <nice>. uh, <laughs> but time it with the thunder strikes. So exactly. no one hears you when you're doing it. <laughs> hey, um, but no, yeah, I, I like the, the ending as well. Um, yeah, I, I it was uh, it was cute. Nice. Kind of cute how he did the little fake out thing, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um so any parting thoughts on the novella or should we talk about the adaptation? 
Uh, let's get to the movie. All right, cool. So those are our thoughts on Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. Um, which it, it bugs me that it's called Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption, not Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Um, but you know, whatever. What the it's hell still was a he great thinking? Piece of writing. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I do have, uh, we'll talk about this in a different episode at some point, but, um, I do want to say that this is actually, in terms of, I'll go ahead and say it, in terms of my ranked um, number of Stephen King novellas, um, this is number four. I will oh, not, wow. yeah, I will not give away what three, two, and one are, but, um, yeah. Wow. So yeah, this is number four. Cool. I might need to change that, actually. It might end up being number three, but we'll talk about that in another episode in this series. <laughs> not like here. Sounds like you've done time all over New England. Yeah, I've been in and out since I was 13. You name the place, chances are I've been there. Perhaps it's time you tried a new profession. What I mean is, you don't seem to be a very good thief. Maybe you should try something else. Yeah, well, what the hell you know about it, Capone? What are you in for? Me? Lawyer, fuck me. Everybody's innocent in here. Don't you know that? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so Frank Darabont's 1994 adaptation of The Shawshank Redemption. So, this movie obviously stars Morgan Freeman as Red. And Tim Robbins as Andy Dufresne, uh, Bob Gutton as Warden, um, oh God, Warden Norton. Norton yeah. Um, and just a, a bunch of great kind of character actors like William Sadler as Haywood, yeah. Clancy Brown, who we mentioned as Hadley, Gil Bellows as Tommy. Um, yeah. I, I like his performance always stuck with me. Yeah. Um, and just in a lot of like, uh, uh, <laughs> um, uh, repeat actors from like other Darabont movies, like uh Jeffrey uh, uh Jeffrey Dumont. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I just every time I think of Gil Bellows, like I forgot about how much I love the line where he like he's taking the test and he's just like it's bullshit. Goddamn cats climbing up trees. Fucking five <laughs> times twenty five is twenty five, and he just pisses. I just goddamn cats climbing up trees. Yes. I fucking love that line, and I had kind of forgotten about it. Oh, it's so, so great. It, it, I did. That's just immediately what I think of when I think of Tommy. So. <laughs> nice. Sorry, I, I just. Oh no, that's head. fine. And and on that note, and we'll kind of circle back to this as well. But um, in terms of showcasing the passage of time in the movie, I love, I love the way that Tommy's introduced. He's like this greaser guy, yeah. and like the music kind of distinctly changes because it's like in the fifties, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to the forties when Andy first got into the into prison. And it's just, it's really cool. I just, I love that kind of visual and audio um, switch in the. Uh, in, in the kind of tone to kind of showcase the passage of time without telling us like, like one decade later. Right. Um, <laughs> or right. anything. Yeah. And also Gil Bellows. I, and I, I love this so much about Stephen King in general. Um, I love that Stephen King's adaptations, like the adaptations of K- Stephen King and the audiobook narrations have like, there are so many like performers who just find themselves recycled in the, in the Stephen King world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's funny cause like listening to 
some other podcasts like like the king cast interviewed steven weber and he's like oh yeah i just had a job like i just got a job doing the doing this uh doing the shining and then i ended up working with mick garris again on desperation another stephen king adaptation and then you know the opportunity to to do the narration for it came up so i did that and i also did rat and it if it bleeds it's just like a nonchalant like yeah i'm just an actor this is what i do nice. and like here in my head i'm like oh there's this like community of of stephen king <laughs> Uh, like his cast of actors and everything and, right. and that finds it. But the reason I bring that up is that Gil Bellows made an appearance in two episodes of 2016's 112263, uh, miniseries on Hulu. Did he? I don't remember him. Yep. He is late in the series, um, episodes six and eight. He is, uh, an FBI agent. Like he comes okay. up. So yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So I just, I love seeing that. Like, oh, I, I know him from this. Right. Um, so yeah, so kind of overall thoughts on the movie. Um, something that really, something that I really love, we'll get into the nitty gritty of the movie, is something that I love is the way that it, I will say it, it's better than the, than the novella. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like Frank Darabont in, in adapting the, the novella, he created, like he, he, compartmentalizes certain things he enhances certain things like the like the brooks um the brooks subplot is mm-hmm. like the best example i can give of him taking something from the source material and expanding it in a way that that really ties together the overall narrative while still also just being a vignette and being a side character um it's just it's so it's so amazing to me the way that he did that. Like in, in the novella, it's just this kind of like this, um, this kind of backstory thing that red sells like, Oh yeah, this, this example of this Brooks guy, he, you know, he got out and he was, he couldn't uh, readjust. And then I don't remember in the novella if he kills himself or not, but I can't remember. Yeah. yeah, It's just like, you know, that's an example of us being institutionalized and everything and, and all that. So so Andy crawled through a bunch of shit, um, <laughs> but in the movie, it's like, it, it's, it's circled back. It brings back like red experiences, that same thing that, that Brooks did. And you have that crossroads of is, is red going to be able to adjust? Is he going to have the same fate as, as Brooks or is he going to find red or find Andy? It's just, it's so, it's so great the way that Darabont is able to take, take, the adaptation and stay so, so, so faithful to the source material, but expanding so many things into making it more cohesive for the, for the film medium. It's, it's one of the most impressive adaptations of so, like a written work that I've seen that I can remember. Oh, by far. Yeah. And yeah. The, the, you know, typically when you're thinking about adapting something or when you think of adaptations, typically when something, when they, when they try to expand something mm-hmm. and add on to it, it usually doesn't work Yeah, or it kind of works. But like you're saying, he, he really hit it out of the park mm-hmm. um, in more than one way with the, the Brooks thing. And I, I feel like the, the warden, while the warden was one character in the movie, I feel like the wardens in the book were, were pretty, ancillary and very much in the background and i feel like the character of the warden was so much more expansive in the in the in the movie yes to, to great effect because like mm. I, I think the movie really needed a villain um and or you know at least antagonistic characters and and the characters of 
Hadley and the warden really f- f- just were fantastic in that in that regard. So it, it, I I don't even think it was like he didn't like gamble by trying to expand. He just right. did a great job expanding these ideas and and that were present in the novel and and even the <clears throat> to what you were just talking about the idea of institutionalization. Um, that's also expand. Like a, he didn't just expand characters and scenes, mm. but he expanded like the themes because obviously the idea of institutionalization is explored in the, no- in the novella, but not a lot. It's not right. It's, it's mentioned a few times, right? But it's not a big deal, but I feel like it's a, it's, it's truly a running theme in, in the movie. And mm-hmm. I feel like, again, the passage of time is, is a little better cemented in the movie. And I feel like that's, one of the key factors of institutionalization and, and it's, it's, it's just expanded and and explored to better effect in the movie, frankly. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's strange that he pulls it off so well, because it's like, it doesn't even need to be in the movie. Right. Like it's just one of the things that makes it great. Mm -hmm. Um, that makes the movie even better. Um, it's, it's, and it's, it's something that he maintained, throughout the whole movie because mm-hmm. uh Br- Brooks kind of losing his shit holding the knife to yeah. Haywood's throat and stuff like that like that's within the first it's not the first act but it's like maybe early on in the second I act I'd say it's about oh yeah maybe maybe closer to the middle but yeah yeah like I don't even know if it's halfway point I can't, I can't remember but you know he's it like that's sort of the beginning of it or when it's first mm-hmm. explored and then it's so influential to to Andy uh, deciding whether or not he's actually going to try to break out, and, mm. and and then obviously when Red gets paroled, all that stuff, you know, it's it's such a cool theme that he kept running throughout the movie that it was an incredible expansion on the novella. Yeah, absolutely, and it's funny. Um, I haven't read up on this or anything, but it's just funny that we're obviously we're releasing this in March, but we're recording it January twenty sixth. It's funny that like we've talked a lot, uh, like on Obsessive Viewer when we do like documentaries and stuff. Um, you and I have talked a lot about you know the idea of like for profit prisons and like all yeah. of that, and it's funny like today President Biden just like said something or like um did something about um he wants to get rid of like for po- for profit prisons like the for profit oh, okay. prison nice system and everything i don't know the specifics of it i'll dig up a link and put it in the show notes but anyway hmm. um it's funny um brief tangent that this is something that's always stood out in my mind anytime i watch a frank darabont stephen king movie so any of the like three mm-hmm. but um really anything anytime i think about frank darabont and his the the strength that he has at adapting Stephen King. Um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, some time ago, I don't know when, but uh, <laughs> uh, Stephen King is quoted as saying, Frank Darabont did come to me, um, and I know Frank from before either of us had a pot to piss in. Frank said, <laughs> gee, I'd like to do Dark Tower. Um, and I said, Frank, give me a break. You've got the mist, the monkey, which is a short story from, I think, Skeleton Crew that obviously was, I assume, never been made. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you've got the prison stories. Stop putting so much on your plate. <laughs> and I'm like, can you imagine? Oh, fuck. If, like, instead of The Walking Dead, Frank Darabont made The Dark Tower. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Which, as a quick side tangent, is he mm-hmm. like, is he like kind of done? Like, He's not a young man anymore, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
So uh, it's every time I think of the title uh, Shawshank and and mm-hmm. all that, like I know you weren't a fan of this show, but um, <laughs> Frank Darabont made like I want to say two or three or four episode appearance as himself. Oh God! On uh, um, Entourage. Entourage. Fuck! I kind of yeah. forgot the name of the show for a second. Um, uh, so hopefully a lot of people do. <laughs> yeah, that show is <laughs> a shitty show, but um, it was funny because he. I, shocker uh vinny was thinking about doing a movie with hmm. you know with frank darabont and it's the plot of every fucking episode right um so frank darabont made appearances as himself and he okay. like during the episode vinny had a stalker or some shit mm-hmm. i don't fucking remember the context but um frank darabont like as himself like the character of himself in the show was like you gotta be careful with those stalkers man like one time i had this guy who was like sending letters to my house or something i I don't remember verbatim what he was saying but he's like this guy was sending letters to my house or calling leaving messages on my phone saying he wanted to shawshank me in the ass (laughs) (laughs) he just delivered it so seriously and i remember like laughing my fucking ass off just (laughs) his delivery is so funny like you can probably youtube it or something yeah it was just really funny every time I think of the title, I just think of him saying he wanted to Shawshank me in the ass. It just made me <laughs> laugh. I, I, I just always remember that. I think I might have a stalker. Well, we don't know that yet. A stalker? Not good, man. Listen, after Shawshank came out, I got all these letters from convicts. Most very complimentary, but there was this one guy sent me like 50 letters saying that when he got out, he was going to Shawshank me in the ass. Who couldn't love that movie? Oh, that's so. good. That Man, that's... I really, I like, I'll try to find a link. Uh, if I can find a clip of that, I'll put a link in the show notes. But man, just in retrospect, it's, it's funny. Like, why didn't they do more comedy on Entourage? I know, right? <laughs> I have one good memory of that show. Yeah. Um, God, I hate that show so much. It was, in retrospect, it was a bad show. Oh, yeah? God damn it. Oh, yeah. All oh, that fucking music. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> one of my favorite bits in the very very early days like in the first like couple hundred episodes of comedy bang bang so back in like 2010 um scott ackerman would do like a segment where it's like he would do um uh quote-unquote episode recaps of entourage (laughs) and he'll go he would he would play the theme music and it would just be like very elongated theme music like the whole thing um, and then he'll say this week on Entourage and then do like a, um, a drum roll. And he's like, uh, Vinny got Facebook. <laughs> and then that's it <laughs> because that's all the fucking show was. Oh my God. So anyway, um, Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> yeah. Something that I really, really love about the adaptation and, and another example of kind of the brilliance of it is that, and this is, this is very evident in the book. Um, but I feel like Darabont really takes it to another level that, and maybe it's because of the format of the book versus the, uh, the perspective, uh, just the kind of straightforward narr- uh, narrative of the movie. But the friendship between Andy and Red is like, like this is a movie about hope, but also just about just friendship in just general. Mm. And like, I, I love that about it. And like, it reaches a point where, so, so I mentioned the commentary tracks on Patreon. Um, Shawshank is on the list. And like, I'm like wondering if when I get to the recording that commentary, like, am I going to cry on a commentary track? <laughs> because by the end, when, when like we get the, 
the zoom out of them on the beach and they're walking up and we see them hug. It's like, just like in the build up to that, like gets, uh, just gives me so much joy. Mm. And like, I, it just fills me with so much just happiness, um, that I like cry happy tears, um, at it. It's just such an emotional, powerful kind of thing. And the, the overarching, uh, overarching thing of the whole movie is this friendship between them. And that's even enhanced by the fact that, um, one of the other kind of changes or enhancements that Darabont does to the story is that he, he doesn't just make it about Red and Andy, but he has like this, this gang of lovable convicts that act as like their extended family and, and the, their happy little family in Shawshank. And they're throughout the entire movie. And it's just this, this very interesting sense of community and friendship that permeates throughout it in the like bleakest place imaginable, like right. the coldest and bleakest place of, of just prison. Um, it's just, it's really spectacular. Um, how did you feel about the kind of themes of friendship and community in, in the movie? Yeah, it's, it, again, it's amazing given the setting, what, what, that they were, he was able to achieve that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, it's funny cause like, the characters like, like Floyd and, and Haywood and, uh, some of the other guys, I can't really remember their names, but they weren't present in the book. Um, right. They, they weren't in the book, like, at all. Um, and, and that's fine. Again, it didn't, it didn't take away from the book or anything, but, uh, just again, that Darabont had the wherewithal to add those characters and give more depth to both Andy and Red yeah. uh, through those characters was such a great decision. Um, and again, you know, it, it adds to the theme of hope that mm-hmm. if you, if you, if you're with a good group of people, you can get through anything. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, that's the truth. Um, but yeah, one thing I wanted to talk about, it, neither, neither, Matt, neither you or I have ever done any time. Um, um no, not yet. If, if Ashley Furniture keeps giving me grief, I don't know. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. Not a threat. Just not jo- a threat, joke. Not a threat. Joke. <laughs> uh, um, but, uh, I, I think, I feel like prison is one of those things that you can't, it's like, it's like war. Like you can't mm-hmm. really know what it's like. You have to, it's one of those things you have to experience mm-hmm. to, to know what it's like. And, um, I, I've never been, I've never even been arrested, but I've, I've had to, I've worked. Oh, you gotta. <laughs> God damn it. Um, uh, I've worked in a few prisons and like, oh, I've, nice. I've had to go there and, uh, and it's, it's, it's amazing how descriptive the novella was and how mm-hmm. uh how visually representative the the movie was based on the snippets of prison that i've experienced like prison did you like pass by like was it was it like like a shawshank prison or was it like uh well it's funny so one of the one that i've been to is here in central indiana and it used to be um Actually, two of them. I think they used to be like ar- army, federal army. They're like Indian or uh, reserve, mm-hmm. army reserve bases or something like that. Um, that like were sold to the state to be used as like prisons, basically. And they built oh. fences around them and and stuff like that. And they're like they're like low to medium security mm-hmm. prisons. So it, it kind of felt that way because like the one 
the like they were like old army barracks that they were using to like house prisoners and the buildings were built in like 1890 or something oh, like wow. that yeah and then uh the other one it's like these old brick buildings from like the 1910s or something like that 1920s mm-hmm. so they're old brick buildings so it kind of it didn't feel like Josh Hank, it wasn't wasn't quite as grand as like what's in the movie or whatever mm-hmm. but it was it was they were old stone brick buildings so wow. sort of sort of i guess kind of had that feeling but mm-hmm. i've been to some j- like county jails too which oh, are definitely yeah. not like that right um but one of the things that kind of jumps out is that like i spent like a whole day at this this prison out out here in central indiana and uh um one thing that jumps out is just you got to be so fucking bored oh yeah there's like there's a tv but like it's playing whatever's on Oh and yeah. And like you have to put on headphones to hear the sound. Oof. Or it's like there's no guy walking around with a cart that has books on it. Like, you know what a book? And like mm. that's not happening. And it's like the lights are on all the time. Like oh, you God. like they don't they don't have lights out. Like they just dim. Oh them. really? Like yeah, like it just dims. And so you have to either like sleep with something over your eyes or just get used to sleeping with the lights on. Jeez. Um, and it's like the boredom is the one thing that jumped out to me. Um, and then the other thing was just like the cleanliness. Like it's not, oh, it's yeah. not like dirty and gross, but it's just not clean, mm. you know? And like I, that's one thing. Like if I, if I have, if I ever had to go to prison, that's what the two things, I mean, obviously your safety is the, probably the number one thing that you worry mm-hmm. about, but then just like you're going to be bored out of your damn mind. And you have no control over your environment at all. Like you can't, yeah. you can't just pick up a rag and clean or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it's the level of cleanliness is up to somebody else besides you. And it's, it's like, that's the kind of stuff that jumped out at me. And, mm-hmm. um, especially in the novella when like he was describing the hole. Oh yeah. That's one thing that I thought was really incredible and just the detail of it mm-hmm. made me like sick to my stomach in the novella yeah. and that didn't quite transfer in the movie i feel like when when andy I gets agree. sent to the hole for the whole uh for, for the thing where for he a um, month. yeah for a month and then yeah. he gets another one added on mm-hmm. where the warden is like where am i being obtuse like that <laughs> that scene like it's it's hard but mm-hmm. I, f- I feel like the novel really hit it out of the park, the novella where he's yeah. talking talk, where red is describing what the hole is like. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't even remember exactly what all he said, but just how dank it is. And it's like being in a keg or something like, or a barrel, I think. Yeah. Something like that. Um, yeah. And like, there's, they, they turn the lights out and it is pitch black mm-hmm. and you can't hear anything. And I, I cannot, ima- I'm a pretty social person. Mm-hmm. I just cannot imagine being that isolated. You know, it's, it's funny because, <laughs> Like we've, we've said, we've, we've watched this movie, like independently, we've watched it a, a ton of times throughout our lives. And we both watched it for the first time when we were fairly young and dumb. Um, <laughs> and like, I remember watching it as a kid and thinking, like, this is like, I, like, I was a kid. I had two siblings and you know my my parents and and a bunch of dogs and stuff and like at times i would watch this movie and think like man that would be kind of sweet to just <laughs> to just just be alone and like have like a little like cell and just like where you can just read like you can just endless amount of time to just actually read and everything mm-hmm. um and just you know it, it would be kind of nice but I mean, obviously, as I grow, as I grow into more of an adult every, every day, um, <laughs> it's, that just is a nightmare. Um, yeah. 
uh, truly a nightmare. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine yeah. um, it. So there's a, I should have looked it up. There's a really good movie, sort of obscure movie, that Gary Oldman starred in, um, where it's a true story about like um, this guy who basically got, um, he was pivotal in solitary confinement becoming not like outlawed but it's highly regulated now because like he got sent to like solitary for like six months at a time like several times and like he almost went insane and he basically finally got lawyers to help him like file a a writ of habeas corpus about the the fact basically got it got it classified as cruel and unusual punishment Mm -hmm. to where like now i think if you you can never get more than like three days or something like that in solitary confinement and you have to have certain amenities provided to you you have Mm -hmm. to have like clothing food water restroom you have to be able to um clean yourself and stuff like that and like before you know the description in this book which i'm sure is accurate for some prisons back in the 40s Mm -hmm. um you know that that if that happened now that prison would get shut down and the people would be arrested for cruel unusual punishment you know right but that can't remember the name of that movie but it's it's a wild ass movie um like from the late 80s or 90s or something like that um but yeah just thinking about stuff like that that Harry Potter you know. and the Prisoner of Azkaban? <laughs> <laughs> the Dementors. Um, no, what does he say? Um, I did my waiting in Azkaban. Oh, yeah. Or whatever, the famous line. I don't know. Sure. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, like, it just, I think it's, prison's kind of fascinating as, as a concept, and I feel like convicts, ex-cons, and current convicts, people who've been through the system, are a resource that we tragically mm-hmm. kick to the curb in our society. We dehumanize people who are part of the penal system. And it's really a shame. Um, the, what they've been through, I think can actually make them pretty incredible people to survive something like that. And yeah. we, we treat them like trash and it's just really a shame. The idea of it being a rehabilitation should be first and foremost what right. it is, but it's like you've said in previous episodes of either this podcast or other podcasts or multiple podcasts that we do. Um, like you in like you said just now, while I was totally paying attention while I was looking at this movie, <laughs> um, it's just their discard. Like, like it's, it's so difficult to reintegrate someone who has served time for a crime they committed into society. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're just discarded. By the way, that movie was Murder in the First from 1995. That's right, yeah. That's a cool, um, that's a crazy-ass movie. Nice. I'll have to seek it out. Yeah. Um, yeah, so something else about... Oh, okay, I want to talk about the um, the roofing scene. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about the scene itself in the novella, and it's very much a beat-for-beat thing. But there's something that the movie does. And I think that it is, I don't know how much of that is Frank Darabont's vision. I don't know how much of that is the actor's portrayals or how much of it is just the cinematography of Roger Deakins also. But that moment where like, this is a very empathetic movie and a very just beautiful, like empathy machine of a movie Mm -hmm. because like when they have their beers and when they're, when they're drinking their beers and they're relaxing and everything and you hear red do the narration saying like we've, we drank beer on that roof. Like we were free men. Like I just felt anytime I see that scene, I just feel like this overwhelming feeling of like, this is, 
Like it's it's this empathy of their hardships and the reprieve of their hardships that they're experiencing in this moment. And like there's a look between Andy and Red where uh, it's during Red's narration where he says, like, I don't know if he did this to curry favor with the guards or maybe to get into the good graces of us cons, but, you know, we never forgot it or whatever he says. But, like, the two share a look, and Tim Robbins and Mar- Morgan Freeman are just, like, that friendship is so solidified. I don't know if that's the scene that solidifies it for, for good, but, like, that's the moment where I was just, like, it's just, it is so just pivotal to the story and it is enhancing this relationship that is going to carry us through the entire movie in such a profound and, and strong way. That's why I say this movie is at its core. It's about friendship and the power of friendship and, and hope that engenerates. Is that a word? Um, that, that <laughs> generates between like a, throughout a friendship. And it's just, it's a beautiful beautiful movie and a beautiful moment in the movie yeah it so is it so is um one line that i hadn't remembered uh it's in the book as well in the novella as well Mm -hmm. uh at that same moment it's actually right after what you just said uh red says uh we could have been tarring the roof of one of our own houses yes um that jumped out to me more with watching the movie this time and reading the novella because Mm -hmm. just i know what that feels like to like mm-hmm. be working on your own house, mm-hmm. like not. I'm not trying to brag as a homeowner. Oh, right. I'm, t- I'm just saying, like, I do a lot of work around my house, and I take a lot of pride. And like, mm-hmm. I love cutting my grass and making sure my house looks good, and and making sure it's up to date. And when you finish something and you sit back and look at it with a cold, I don't really drink, but like mm-hmm. with a cold drink or whatever, that is an amazing feeling. Yeah, um, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. So that that jumped out to me more, and mm-hmm. I could relate to that scene even more uh at this point in my life than i could when i watched it as a kid or interesting yeah so yeah, just, you haven't seen this since you became a homeowner no wow. definitely haven't yeah so that's yeah awesome. I, that that that's a that's something that jumped out of me yeah. that's really I, I love that i love that you found that resonance there that's awesome yeah and I, that's what i love coming back to things like this that mm-hmm. are so such quality films or books or whatever is yeah. that's, that's the, that's what's so cool about rewatching or rereading things mm-hmm. at different times in your life. Cause like the dumbass shit that I thought when I was 16, right. when I watched this movie versus now, like yep. it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> like going back to my thought about, Oh, prison could be kind of cool. right. Exactly. <laughs> um, like, prison Mike, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> prison Matt in, the, right. <laughs> in those, um, in those solitary confinement scenes, like I remember as a kid thinking, like, man, just you know, just being alone in your own, like in the dark with your own imagination, like, <laughs> like I, I had an active imagination as a kid. It's like I could think up so many like stories I could write and stuff and <laughs> everything. Not thinking like, okay, I'd be on a fucking hard, cold floor and like, you know, experiencing just the cruelest of cruel. Right. But, uh, but yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> The stupid joke I was going to make about the tarring thing. It's like, I totally get that. Like, sometimes I will, like, I'll just take a beer. I'll just crack open a beer and just like that cold, like that cold drink, like in my mouth, going down my throat as I'm looking at my computer, as I'm putting in a maintenance order for my apartment. It's just so (laughs) satisfying to me. (laughs) 
That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that yeah. that reminds me, brief tangent, and then we can start kind of wrapping up. I think because we might be uh, running long on time, and also <laughs> I don't know how many more notes I have. But um, I I remember <laughs> when Biden won the election, like there was so many, like there were so many times where where like him and Kamala Harris would say like, Oh, now the, now the real work begins and everything. Mm -hmm. And like, I just, I will always remember this, that there was a tweet that I saw (laughs) that was, and I could never find it to screenshot it, but there was a tweet I saw where it was something like, uh, now the real work begins. And then like, uh, a couple of spaces and everything. And then it says, uh, me as I start working on my seventh revision of fuck Island on, on animal crossing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> um, That's ridiculous. Yeah. But uh. uh, but yeah. So anyway, so uh, again, the that scene with the tarring of the roof. Um, there's just this tactile way that you can just see the relief of these characters and these, like the the joy that they have of just drinking a beer and living like free men is just amazing. Mm-hmm. I feel like that sentiment is captured again with the a scene is not in the novella, but it's very mm-hmm. prom- one of the more famous scenes in the movie when he gets the record player and yes. plays it over loudspeaker and he you know Red is doing his narration about how. You know, the, the song was soaring across the, mm. uh, whatever. I can't remember all the descriptors he uses, but, um, it, again, credit to Frank Daremont for mm. writing that scene. It's, yeah, cause that wasn't in the novella. It's not, yeah. Wow. Not in the novella, yeah. That is so interesting because that is such a, a Shawshank Redemption moment. So, oh, totally. Yeah. Totally wow. in keeping with the character and, and, oh, yeah. uh, and, and just the, again, the themes of hope, you know, how, 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 mm how hope can completely trans transport you and mm-hmm. these tiny, another cool thing about hope uh, briefly is uh, the way it's depicted in the, the novella and the movie is that they get these tiny, tiny little nuggets mm-hmm. like that's like in that part of the movie when he plays that song, it's probably like they probably get a minute or two or maybe three minutes of that song mm-hmm. and that's it. But it holds them over if you will for, Years and yeah. they every time they they relive it or they that when they're in the mess hall and they're telling stories about yes. Andy they'll tell that story and it gives them hope and it makes them feel good again and mm. it's like it's it's funny how these tiny little things can do that's how desperate you are and that's how mm. bleak prison is that these tiny little seemingly you know we all just turn on our radio and we listen to the music and it's not a big deal but for them that one song they didn't even know what the hell they were singing about yeah it it, it stretches for decades and it's something these guys remember that's yeah. and that, that happens a couple times throughout yeah. the movie and the, the novella it's really cool much like these podcasts that we do much like much <laughs> yes. like yes um <coughs> So Tommy, let, let's talk about Tommy. Real yeah. Quick. Um, I, I love, I think it is just a, a master stroke that they, that Darabont took this kind of, um, this subplot from the novella and, uh, created in it this, like it, he tied it in so significantly to the villain of the movie of, of being both Hadley and, um, uh, Warden Norton. Mm-hmm. Um, and he makes it just, I mean, these are evil characters. Right. And he creates such a, such an immediate evilness in these characters, um, by having Tommy be killed by them. And it's just, it's amazing. Just a show of force and a show of, 
of power um, over Andy at his most down moment. It's just, I just thought that was just a brilliant move in terms of adapting the story. Cause that's not what happens in the book. Um, right. Um, but it, it, it just enhances it so much. So how do you feel about the way it was adapted? Yeah. I, I thought it was such a great, again, a great expansion on what's in the novel. Cause I think in the novel, it's, it's pretty cool as well. I, 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 I had never read it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wasn't familiar with what happens, but I thought that was a, a good outcome in, in the novella. I thought that was interesting how he, you know, the, the warden still does something really sneaky and wily and, Mm -hmm. uh, wrong really. I mean, it's, it's wrong what he does. He ships him off to this other, he gets him a deal basically yeah, to just shut him up and royally fucks over Andy Dufresne. Right. Mm -hmm. But in the movie, it's so much more sinister. Like, yes, I mean, just the, and, and what's so an extra degree of cynicism in, in, in what happens in the movie is that the warden goes out there himself yes. and, and sets him up and gives him his last cigarette and mm. literally gives a signal to Paul Hadley to fucking murder him. Like it's, yeah, it is fucking diabolical mm-hmm. in the movie. And like, I, I, I mean, obviously when I was, a kid and I watched this, I was like, Oh man, that's fucked up. But like, I, you know, again, visiting it as a, as a 34 year old man, it's, I guess the, the level of depravity jumped out to me more Mm -hmm. and just how evil it's fucking evil. How evil it was. And (laughs) just, it just makes those characters, those two characters incredibly Mm -hmm. diabolical and even deeper and, Makes me love him even more. <laughs> yeah. Oh, me too. And yeah. I just, when you said, like, when I was a kid, I just thought, yeah, that's fucked up. I just imagine, <laughs> I just imagine little nine year old tiny saying, like, mommy, daddy, that's pretty fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> they killed that man. It's kind of fucked up. No, that's kind of fucked up. But, uh, but yeah, I, I completely agree that that really makes the antagonist, um, of the movie so much more formidable and, really brings down Andy to just his lowest, which brings us the get busy living or get busy dying scene um, where he is like, he, he's so out of his, out of, out of character for the character of Andy. And he's talking so just like distantly yeah. to, to, to red. Um, and I tweeted this and, and posted on Facebook and, and you agreed and I had the same thought, but um the line when when they're, mm-hmm. when he's talking about Zewatanejo and he's talking about how like oh I'll have a hotel and I'll be restoring a boat and everything I can use a man who knows how to get things, um, in red like this is this is, it's a it's a great moment in the movie it's it's maybe one of the most pivotal moments in the entire movie, but red says and, and red shoots him down he says uh he says that that's just a, a shitty pipe dream right and I. I I was floored by that because <laughs> at the end of the movie, when he escapes, he's like, uh, Andy Dufresne walked through 500 yards of, of shit to get to freedom. And I'm like, that is such an, that is such a great piece of foreshadowing. <laughs> he crawled through 500 yards of shit and came out clean on the other side. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I, I love that. I just wanted to point that right. out. Right. That, that line never jumped out to me before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so great. Totally. And I, I kind of forgot how, 
amazing that scene was the get busy living or get busy yes. dying scene. Like I, I hadn't, I guess I just had never, uh, contemplated the weight of that. And it's, mm-hmm. again, it's, it, that's an expansion from the novella. That's not, yeah. I, I, I don't remember in the, in the book did red, was he convinced that Andy had killed himself? Um, he, no, uh, in the book, he, uh, in the book, I don't, th- I don't think so. I can't remember either. Um, no, I think that was something for the movie. Cause like that, that moment where he's like, oh, he's, he's dead in a cell. He's gotta right. be. He has the longest night of his life and he's, yeah. he, he's like, I didn't know. Yeah. He thinks he's dead in a cell and he mm. killed himself. Right. Yeah. And again, just the pain. Uh, of that like that right it's just it goes back to the whole hope and friendship kind of thing right um yeah it's it's a great moment and another thing i want to touch on real quick is another enhancement from the novel is or the novella is the way that darabont incorporates uh he he makes he makes this out to be such a such a a high level like chess game between Andy and the warden um cuz he's cooking his books and he's he's doing all of the shady shit for the warden and so in the novella he has a friend on the outside before he goes in that sets up his fake fake identity and everything and sets aside money and all that and that's all in the novella but here in the movie he ties that to his dealings with the warden so what he does is he's filtering out the money into a into an account in an in an assumed name that he eventually goes and gets so he swindles the warden out of like millions of dollars uh, or however much mm-hmm. and like i just thought that that was just a beautiful beautiful um piece of of uh of screenwriting and and the way that it comes together yeah. um for it i i i love this movie so much i know and i love the part where uh, andy is describing that to red in the library Mm-hmm. They're like filing books away, and he's like, "It's amazing what you can accomplish by mail." And yeah. he's like, "I I was an innocent man when I came to prison. I had." Or he's like, "I was an innocent man on the outside. I had to come to prison to become a crook." Right. Like just great lines. I love that in there. Yeah. Yep. Um. And I also love the comeuppance of the warden in the movie, mm-hmm. um, because it's it's less. What happens to him in the book? Does he in the book? Oh, I can't. I can't remember because I, I don't remember if I he gets caught. He gets caught, he? yeah. But it's it's like such a because he's not. It's a different circumstance. I don't feel like Andy turned him in via the, via the press or whatever. No, I I don't think so. And it's funny because it's such um it's such a smaller moment in the book because like there are like se- like several different wardens in right, the book, so right. it's not like he's like the most dire of them right but um i can't remember i don't think he kills himself i don't think so either um but anyways uh, yeah. the the, the comeuppance of the warden in the movie and culminating with him killing himself in his office yeah i and, and like i love how darabont chose to like sit in that moment like frank mm-hmm. uh, red is doing his narration and he you know yeah. he's saying like I like to think that the last thing that went through the warden's head, other than that bullet, <laughs> bullet. is to wonder how the hell Andy DeFrank ever got the best of him. Yes. And he's, Darabont is like focused on Warden Norton with a hole in his chin and his yes. brains all over. Like, we linger on that 
that so shot great. for like four or five seconds while he says that line, and that's just like a big fucking middle finger to him. Yes, I, I love that, and it's I, not me too. It's not like tasteless or gory no. or or like ridiculously graphic. It's just. It's his comeuppance. It's an, it's yeah. an exclamation point. Yeah. Exactly. I, I love that. I, and and I, of course, that's that's a very famous part of the movie, and it jumps right. out, and I always remembered it. But again, it's just I haven't seen this in so long. I can mm-hmm. appre- I appreciate it so much more now. I, Absolutely, it's and, so good. And also the uh, I oh god, I fucking love it. The the Bible. Um, yes. Just like oh, that was a nice middle finger. So I forgot great. about that. That not only just hiding it in the Bible and everything, but at the point in the Bible, like the book of Exodus. Yeah. It's just like that is just perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then even like him, him writing in it saying like, you're, you were right, Warden. Salvation lies within. Right. So, so great. Phenomenal. Um, also that reminds me, this is just, this is another tangent real quick and we'll start to wrap up here. But, yeah. um, that just reminded me that I saw a clip of, I don't remember who it is, but some like, Texas, like, I don't know if he was, I don't think he was a senator, but someone was being interviewed by Jake Tapper on CNN and they were saying like, um, like Jake Tapper was like, you know, uh, you work for governor, whoever, and, uh, you know, you, you've said that you don't want, that you don't think uh, Muslims should hold office and why not? And then he's just like, uh, he's like, uh well I don't think they should uh, and he has obviously that drawl mm-hmm. so I don't think they should I don't think they should be able to because everyone everyone that's sworn in has to put their hand on the Bible um, <laughs> and then he's like well you you know you don't have to swear on the Bible like you can choose like your own you know religious thing and then he's like and like the guy gets I'll put a I'll pro- I don't know but he goes into this thing and like it's been since it resurfaced this was a couple years ago and since it resurfaced on social media like a few months ago I've been saying this over and over in my head <laughs> but um <laughs> the guy says like he cuts off Jake Tapper and he says like no no I swore on the Bible Oh, I think I've seen that before. Yeah. No, it has to be the Bible. And Jake Tapper's like, no, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, no, you can swear anything. No, no, I swore on the Bible. (laughs) Um, and he's like, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. He says something else and then it's just like the, the blank fucking deer in headlights face. Like, <laughs> no, no, I swore on the Bible. Oh my God. Um, but anyway. You have to swear on a Christian Bible. You can swear on anything, really. I don't know if you knew that. You can swear on a Jewish Bible. Oh no, you can swear I swore on, a, on the can, Bible. I've done can, it three times. I'm sure Jay. you have. I'm sure you've picked a Bible, but the law is not that you have to swear on a Christian Bible. That is not the law. You, you don't know that? Um, right, yeah, so Hope Springs Eternal, they es- he escapes and then Red, uh, you know, gets paroled and then, oh, uh, uh, real quick about Red, how did you feel about the movie not saying what he was in for versus the novella, um, detailing his crime? Um, in the novella, he, uh, he took out a life insurance policy on his wife and cut the brakes on her car and killed her, but didn't know that she had just picked up the neighbor and like an infant child and they killed all three. Like that's very dark and very just extreme. And the movie excises. Right. Um, how'd you feel about that? Would that have made you feel less sympathetic for red or how, how did you feel about that? You know, I think, I think it kind of did make him a Mm. little less sympathetic in the book. Um, the character is more realized in the, in the movie for sure. Like pretty much all the characters are, but again, not, not, not to criticize the novella. 
Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think honestly it did kind of make me judge him a little bit and, mm. and think a little less of him. Um, because that was pretty despicable, but also I feel like again, a running theme with red is the fact that he admits his guilt yeah. throughout the entire only guilty man in Shawshank, right? Only guilty man in Shawshank. And he, I think he, he, that's genuine. Like, I mm. think he, he genuinely feels guilty and regrets it. Yeah. And he says in the movie, he says as much, uh, in his, um, I think his second and his third parole hearing, mm-hmm. um, he actually says like, I wouldn't do it again. Or like, if I could go back, I wouldn't do it or something like right. that, you know? Um, but yeah, I, and, and I think I, I kind of love the, the three, parole hearings me too throughout the three acts that's just such a great creative so choice great. um and his evolution mm-hmm. throughout those three hearings are just phenomenal um it's I think another on, great uh, way to showcase the passage of time yeah I, I love it for that oh totally yeah and i think the um i think it was on the king uh the king cast mm-hmm. where they were talking about um they're talking about this movie and i don't remember which host said that he thinks that's those three scenes are what earned Morgan Freeman his Oscar nomination. Ah, uh, yeah. Especially the last one. And mm. I, I agree with that. I think he's probably right. Those oh, are, absolutely. Yeah, because that last one is just epic. Oh, absolutely. Uh, such an epic moment. And I love the response uh, at the, after the first one. Like, it's the opening of the movie, essentially. And, like, he walks out and then he... Uh, like one of the guys who was actually in the mist also he played the biker guy in the mist mm-hmm. um Brian Libby I think I don't know but anyway um he said he says like oh how'd it go and he's like oh I got got rejected and he's like oh yeah I'm uh, I got rejected last week right <laughs> I think Haywood or someone or the other guy is like um is like yeah I'm up for rejection next next week <laughs> it's just I that's yeah. funny um, another great example of the passage of time in the movie and the way it's depicted uh visually is um, the, the kind of recurrence of, uh, or the callback to the, uh, everyone here is innocent thing mm-hmm. or everyone here, uh, is innocent. It's like, first of all, I love William Sadler in the beginning when he's like, uh, when, when that in, that is introduced in the movie saying like, oh, everyone's, everyone's innocent. And then Red is like, oh, hey, what, what are you in for? And he's like, oh, the lawyer fucked me. Yeah. And then like later when Tommy enters, enters into the, into the story, uh, you get Andy saying that he's like, right. oh, don't you know everyone here is innocent? Lawyer fucked me. Yeah. Um, I just, I love that. It's just the, the storytelling and the screenwriting is just, phenomenal in this movie absolutely um okay so let's wind down is there any parting thoughts um just overall like that ending is a perfect movie ending in my book it really is i and again i remembered the ending like almost beat for beat like i Mm -hmm. you know it's uh, it's, you can't forget it right but um i feel like Again, it's just that I guess the perspective of being a 34-year-old now as opposed mm-hmm. to like a 20-year-old last time I watched this. Yeah. Um, just the, I, I kind of forgot that like, you know, the, they're panning out and so you don't get to see a lot of detail about mm-hmm. their actual embrace, but they give each other a big old hug. Yeah. And I had forgotten that. I, 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 I distinctly remember they're panning out and the two Me characters too. walking towards each other, but I was like, do they shake hands? Do you mm. get to see what happens? I, I don't really remember. And I feel like, it was so touching that they just gave oh, yeah. each other a big old hug. And I don't know if it's just that I have more years on me now. And so mm-hmm. I, I feel like I, I know what I would say. And that's exact. I would want to give that guy a big old hug and mm-hmm. just, I'd, f- 
fucking break down like a little bitch and cry. <laughs> but um, and I, th- I think this is probably the first time in my life I got choked up at the ending. Oh wow! I, I think it probably yeah. is. I mean, I mean, it is it is incredibly powerful. Like I had forgotten that they hugged too, and like that is yeah. such. I mean, it's such a simple gesture, but like combining right. that with the music and and just the the story and the uh, zooming out, because like you don't need to see like what they say to each other, because you mm-hmm. know what they you because it just it's all about the emotion of that moment, and it's just right. it's fantastic. And they like after they hug, like Andy kind of like takes them by the shoulders, like oh let me look at you. you oh can, like, yeah, you can make out those details. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I I forgot how much uh minutia there was to that mm. to that scene i it, it jumped out a lot more this viewing so yeah, yeah absolutely one, one thing we didn't talk about just really briefly mm-hmm. that i was wondering if you had an opinion on in the book <clears throat> i don't think there are any characters who are described as being black african american oh yeah I read as an Irishman. That's mm-hmm. you know, he's a white Irish guy, and he's a white guy. Those are the two main characters. We can the race of a lot of the characters are never mentioned, but we can. I think we mm-hmm. can assume that they're all white. Yeah. Um, but in the movie, there's obviously Red is a black guy, um, and there's a few other characters who are black, mm-hmm. but race literally never one time comes up in the movie ever. Right. And it's like I I don't know. I still don't know how I feel about it. Like, cause I feel like as far as accuracy goes, you would think, I, I understand that we're in the North, right? This is new England mm-hmm. and it's, it's not the deep South where, right. you know, racism is institutionalized, yeah. but I, I would think, you know, Andy Dufresne would get called names and teased or ostracized for having a black friend. Yeah. That's and interesting. Frank, I mean, 1949, mm-hmm people called white racist white people called black people the n-word and like mm-hmm. that's how they referred to them it wasn't like just i'm trying to be racist so i'm gonna call them that. like right that's what they refer like it was just a thing and mm-hmm. that word is never once used in the movie and um again this is not at all a criticism of it but it's just interesting how it felt organic that there was no racism in the movie yeah which is it, it's almost like um I, it's almost like an anachronism, like right. that there's no racism in this movie, but mm. there's, I mean, it's not just red. There's like a couple other, like when, uh, the first night that Andy comes to prison and the guy gets beat to death. Yeah. The, the, the guy, guy that he talks to, fir- right. The guy who works in the infirmary is a black guy. And they're like, yeah. Hey, they know his name. Like, Hey, so-and-so right. what happened with that guy? And it's like, I, I mean, I, you know, not that race has to be in everything. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, given the time you would think that there would be yeah. some some mention of it or there would be some tension mm-hmm. because there's there's race racial mixing in the, in the prison um i don't know it's just something that yeah, i really i really paid attention to or not paid attention to but it kind of jumped out at me mm-hmm. um and again i'm not being critical at all i think it's kind of amazing like it it felt organic it felt natural that it was never even mentioned that yeah there's an interracial friendship you know i did, did that did, have you ever noticed that i guess or um, thought about that not really and i think that's a testament to the kind of bigger themes of of hope and friendship and all that that we've talked about yeah that like cuz you're right i mean the timing of it like in if it was a historically accurate movie i mean they would be i mean there would be race would unfortunately be a, a bigger issue in it um mm-hmm. if it were more historically accurate but it never really crossed my mind i, I don't know but I will say that I do love the line that uh, 
Darabont put in the movie where, um, uh, and he's like, why did they call you red? Yeah. And then he's like, uh, maybe cause I'm Irish. Yeah. I do love that line. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a great kind of wink at it. Um, right. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I, th- I think I it's, don't really have an easy answer for that. Right. I, I was just curious if you had ever thought about it or noticed mm-hmm. that. Um, but I think in the book it is, I think race is only mentioned once. I might be misremembering this, but I feel like at one point red says that in prison, it doesn't matter. Everyone is an N word. Does he? Oh, am I making yeah. am I making that up? No, that is definitely I, that's definitely in the novella. I thought so. Yeah. Like the color of your skin doesn't matter. You're in right or whatever. Which that's the only time it's mentioned in the book. But mm-hmm. again, that feels historically accurate and like right. that feels like a line that this guy would have said, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you know, especially like this movie takes place during the civil rights movement. Too. Yeah, exactly. Um, you would think some of one of the new batch of prisoners or something, mm-hmm. even um, Tommy. You know, yeah, uh, he comes to the prison in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I, it's just, uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting non-issue. I guess I'll put it that right. way. Right. And you know what's interesting is I, I, and maybe I'm not saying that we'll cover this this year, but I wonder how the Green Mile is in terms of that. Cause I, yeah. I haven't read the Green Mile and I haven't seen the Green Mile in, I mean, over a decade easy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so maybe that's something we will revisit at some, or we'll revisit at some point. That'll be kind of yeah, an interesting theme to explore when we get to that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. All right. Have we talked out this movie enough? I, I know think that we, we have. Probably talked for hours, but totally. You know, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um. Before we wind down, before we officially end, I do want to mention two things. <laughs> One, uh, in in terms of uh, pop culture references, um, that. Uh, reference the Shawshank Redemption. So, um, Family Guy is not a great show. I knew you were going to say yes. Family Guy. I fucking love that <laughs> yeah. scene so much. Go ahead. That, Go the ahead. whole, that, so uh, Family Guy in like season seven had an episode called Three Kings where, um, it's basically a parody of three Stephen King, uh, stories and movies. So they do Stand By Me, Misery, and Shawshank. And I just, I, I, I don't know. I I really I really adore that episode. It yeah. It has that kind of I mean Family Guy is pretty um mean-spirited a lot in it and it has a lot of that in that episode. But um but yeah, I don't know. It's just something about it is is just a lot of fun. Cleveland as as Red and Peter yeah. as Andy is is a lot of fun. So, I just yeah. I I will never every time uh the like in in the movie when the um how can you be so obtuse yes. part happens i can automatically go to that episode of family guy where mr peter schmidt is mm. making an obtuse angle yes. sitting at an obtuse angle <laughs> fuck that's so yeah. funny like, and then he says and then he says oh you're going in the hole and everything it's like or am i being obtuse and then he's like no you're being acute now and he's like as an <laughs> he's been over yeah. yeah god that's so, so dumb. funny <laughs> Because that is an odd adjective to it use. Is. Who describes someone as obtuse? It's yeah, not, yeah. You just think of geometry, right? <laughs> oh my god, that's so fucking funny. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll talk about that also when we do the body slash stand by me, mm-hmm. um, because they do that too, right? And also probably misery whenever we cover misery. Mm-hmm. So or have covered misery. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know time travel. Right. Uh, the other, the last thing I want to bring up is. I didn't remember this until I was watching the movie, but I remember, I don't really listen to Bob and Tom, like, at all. Yeah. Um, anymore. Uh, cause I don't listen to the radio. But they had, like, someone call in 
somewhat frequently doing a Morgan Freeman impression. Mm-hmm. And it would always devolve into him telling the story of Andy Dufresne. Yeah. And like, I just, like, it almost spoiled the movie for me a little bit because (laughs) when we got to the, when we got to the scene where he's, you know, it's, it's Andy's like the longest night of his life. I just, I just had a memory of that Bob and Tom segment, uh, recurring segment where the Colin guest, uh, doing the Morgan Freeman impression just ended the, like this long drawn out story with like, that was the longest night of Andy Dufresne's life. (laughs) Um, do you remember that at all? Oh yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, um, I think we're done. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed this, um, first episode in our different seasons, uh, series. The next one will come up June 21st. <laughs> um, so <laughs> join us June 21st for, <laughs> um, uh, uh, for the novella slash movie, um, Summer of Corruption, Apt Pupil, and Apt Pupil 1998, directed by some fucking guy. Yeah, well, the guy that did it is disgraced filmmaker. Um, oh, that's uh, right, Finn. Uh, 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 Brian Singer. Singer. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so Apt Pupil is up next, June 21st. Um, if you uh will. If you are a patron at the level of $10 or $10 is the highest one, uh, $10, you get access to early access, um, uh, early access episodes and unreleased episodes as well. So, um, the main feed will have apt people on June 21st, but if you are a patron at the level of $10, you'll get access to that June 1st. So a full two day or a full 20 days ahead of time. So, uh, consider that, um, yeah. Also, that's at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. And, uh, Tiny, any parting thoughts for Shawshank? Uh, get busy reading or get busy watching. Nice. I don't know. That, that's good. That's good. <laughs> nice. Cause um, they're both great. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, if I, if I spend the night reading, it'll be the longest night of my life. <laughs> um, okay. Anyway, that'll, I think that'll do it for this episode of Tower Junkies. Um, thank you guys so much for supporting us. Uh, follow us on every level of social media at Tower Junkies Pod. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what's next because I don't know what is on the docket, uh, when this releases. So hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, we'll see you next time. Long days and pleasant nights. And may you have twice the number. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Oh, oh god. god. <clears throat> he uh oh oh so I phased out that and then as you know from my uh messaging and everything that I've sent to you mm. is now I'm doing the pizza's russian right um, yes. thing so yeah, yeah I uh yeah I can't do uh, obviously I can't do it for an audience <laughs> um because I fuck it up but oh. I do have some audio on my phone <laughs> that is yeah so hopefully no one will ever hear I'm going to Tacking on to the end of this. Oh my god! Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna, I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try to do it. Pizza, you good little baby. Yes, daddy. I know that I'm good baby, but I am also good kitty. That's yeah. That's not as good as it. All right, that's all right. Eh, It was a little. uh, Not as good as. 
It was before. A little bit post-war cartoonish. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like an after-school special about how communists are evil, kind of. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. I know I'm good, Kitty. No, I can't. <laughs> Pizza World is a silly little baby. Yes, Daddy, I know that I'm a silly little baby, but I am also a silly little kitty. Tower Junkies is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to TowerJunkiesPod.com slash archive. You can also like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash TowerJunkiesPod and follow us on Twitter at TowerJunkiesPod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is just a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at TowerJunkiesPod.com slash donate, or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com and on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and OV Anthology Pod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Music for the podcast is provided with permission from Fingers T on YouTube. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. Kitty! Whatever mistakes I made, I paid for them and then some. That hotel, that boat... I don't think that's too much to ask. I don't think you ought to be doing this to yourself, Andy. This is just shitty pipe dreams. I mean, Mexico is way to hell down there, and you're in here, and that's the way it is. Yeah, right. That's the way it is. It's down there, and I'm in here. I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living, you get busy dying.